Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. All right, well, good evening, church. Um, We have been in the series uh, in Ephesians. And so if you're a guest with us uh, and you're like, man, are we talking about parenthood today? Yes, but there's always something when we open up the Bible, there's something for everyone to learn and grow in. So we've come to chapter six in our journey, guys. We have been through five whole chapters. This is the last chapter of the book. Like you guys have done an excellent job getting all the way through it. And since chapter four, we've been unpacking something together. Since chapter four, we've been looking at how does the gospel impact relationships? And so we've been looking at those relationships in the church and in the community. And now we're looking, how does the gospel impact home life? And so last week, we looked at how the gospel impacts relationships like marriage and singleness. And we saw how Christian singleness has a metaphor to the world. Christian singleness displays the sufficiency of Christ in the gospel. And marriage has a metaphor that it represents the sacrifice of Christ that's in the gospel. So both singles and marrieds, we learned, display something really beautiful about Christ and his relationship with the church. And so this week, here's the question we ask if you're taking notes. How does the gospel impact parenting? Now, listen, some of you in the room are, or online are biological parents. Uh, some of you are foster parents. Some of you are from out of town parents that are here visiting with us. And we welcome you. Uh, some of you are adoptive parents. Uh, some of you are hoping to have par- uh, kids in the future. And some of you might not be too sure if you want to have kids maybe in the future. There's a lot of us from different places when it comes to parenting. But regardless of where you find yourself in parenting, this message again is still for you. Why? Two reasons. I want to give you real quick up front. Uh, number one is this. Second Timothy 3, 16 says this. All scripture, even this one on parenting, is breathed out by God, right? It's profitable for teaching and for reproof. It's good for correction and for in training in righteousness that the people of God, that's you and me, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So even if the passage, listen, doesn't directly relate to you like right this second, it may so in the future. So I want you to see this sermon as a preparation sermon, equipping your heart for a possible future of parenting. Or maybe a sub point with this, uh, even if you don't have children in the future, this passage, guys, is still useful for you. Because in this, you're really gonna learn something about God's heart for you as his child. And you're gonna see something about how God is teaching you about how he parents and leads and loves and guides you. So don't tune out, even if you don't have kiddos. The second reason is that this message is for everyone in the church, because why? Guys, we're a family of faith. Even if you're a guest, you know this is sort of a, a spiritual family. And as a spiritual family, we need to know how to care for one another well, even if you're in a different season of life, right? So let's be others-minded here and not just individually-minded. So if you're single, you need to know the struggles of parenthood. Why? So you can care and you can pray and you can encourage our parents 
that are parenting little ones. So listen, parents, you don't need, you know, kind of a, a buffer with this. You need the scripture because you're a parent, okay? You get that one. And non-parents and not yet parents. Again, you need the scripture because you need to know how to care and to pray and how to encourage our parents. Does that make sense? So this message is for everybody in the room, whether you're a kiddo in the room or you're a college student or you're a senior adult or whatever the case may be, it's for you. So everyone, regardless of parental status, let's lean into the goodness and wisdom of this passage. So we've only got two points. And so let's start with the very first point. Here's what we're gonna learn. The gospel calls parents to lead and love their children like Christ does for the church. We see another metaphor here in scripture. God is saying, I lead and love my people this way. And so parents, I want you to lead and love like I do. Verse one starts out by saying these words. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is super key. If you have a pen and a hard copy of the Bible, or if you wanna highlight that electronically, in the Lord is so key. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. Or in other words, this is good or it's healthy for your growth. If it's in the Lord, we'll get to that in a moment. And he ends this section in verse four by saying this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction, here it is again, of the Lord. Two things we're gonna unpack in a little bit, in the Lord and of the Lord are key phrases to bookend this passage. Listen, the fact that children weren't just included in this passage, but given a section of their very own was an indication of their worth and value to God. And that was a very new and countercultural idea in the ancient Ephesian world. See, during the time of, in the place of this letter, children weren't treated with equality or value or dignity in their Greco-Roman culture. Listen, unwanted babies were abandoned. Ones with deformities or weaknesses, they were killed. And even healthy children were regarded as just nuisances and because of the time and the care that they needed to develop. And so as a result, children were often devalued, they were mistreated, they were neglected. And of course, guys, right, this is not the will of God for children or for parents to treat children this way. So what happens? So God, through Paul, enters into this moment of history and he's setting the record straight and correcting the path of parenting here, isn't he? He says twice in this passage that children are to be loved in the Lord and of the Lord. Verse one, verse four bookends on this. Meaning that we should care for children, why? The way God does. Not how our feelings or the culture suggest around us, but how God loves them. For Jesus himself, right? If you remember his teaching, for Jesus was gentle and lowly with children, remember? According to scripture, he'd often say, let the little children come to me when they're being blocked out by the adults because they're like, hey, this is, this is big church time, kids. You just go over here and go, go play. Just get away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. I want them to love, know my love for them. I want them to know me as well. For such belongs the kingdom of God. He even strongly warned against the mistreatment of children. This is a strong passage in Matthew 18 when he says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, man, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fast around his neck and be drowned at the depths of the sea. 
Man, those are strong words from our God, right? But what he's doing is he's emphasizing the value and the care and the protection that children deserve. Why? Again, as Christians, we have this wonderful ethic of how we can value every man and woman and child, born and unborn. We value them. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And because God is worthy of value, what's made in his image is as well. For many of you, you grew up in a home where aggression of a parent or the absence of a parent was commonplace for you. The lack of words shared or the harshness of words that you heard may have caused a really deep effect on your heart and left you troubled. Too often busyness and work and stress filled your parents' agenda and rather than intentionality, care and time with you, you were neglected. And at times, maybe their selfishness or their use of substances took center stage and you were harmed and you were overlooked and you were neglected. And if this is your story, as it is for so many others, listen, I want to tell you, I'm so deeply sorry for what you have been through. This is not how parenting and childhood is supposed to be. God's design for you as a little one was to be led and loved in the Lord's will and of the Lord's character, as if you were being raised by Christ himself. But listen, there there really is hope. All is not lost if you had this experience I just mentioned. You are not defined by the lack of love that your parents did not give you. And you are not held back because they held back from caring for you well. Because as a Christian, listen, you aren't defined by someone else's love for you, but by God's love for you. It's in the gospel that you see how a better parent cares for you. A heavenly father who didn't let his own agenda derail him from his care for you, but rather it directed it towards you. As a Christian, you have a new father, a God who considered you and he came for you and he was crucified for you in his son and he'll carry you in and throughout all of life's heartaches. He will always provide for you and always protect you. And one day in heaven, this father will wipe away every tear from your eye, every sorrow from your heart, every experience you've been through. He will love you and lead you and heal you in that place. For as Psalm 2710 says this of you, for my father and my mother may have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. So Christian, take heart. You aren't defined by your earthly parents, but by your heavenly father. A conversation that we have to have in our home often with our two little adopted girls. His heart towards you, friend, and his actions for you, that's what shapes your value and your worth. Not anyone or anything else. Does that make sense? So in light of the hurt and heartache that can come through parenting and child rearing, God commands parents in verse four, he says this. He says, parents, and this word can also include mothers here. He says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. As it was in the case with husbands and wives, not all the obligation falls to one side, right? So when you hear the word fathers used here, both parents are in mind, as in the case with Hebrews eleven twenty three. However, though, fathers are called to be loving and sacrificial leaders in the home, a position that's often mistreated or neglected. And some of you have experienced that in your life. 
So what Paul does in his, this text, guys, that he, he paints this picture of parenthood as the self-controlled, a, a gentle, a, a patient educator of their child, which was in stark contrast to the norm of his day. A day, again, where fathers had absolute power over their family. A father in that day, guys, could sell their children as a slave. He could make them work in the field with chains on their wrists. He could even take the law into his own hand and punish them as he liked, even inflicting the death penalty on his child if he willed. Completely different, however, is God's design for parenting. Especially if we remember that Paul had written earlier, namely that parenthood is derived from the fact that God is the father of all. So earthly parents are called to care for their families like the heavenly father cares for you. And so we must love and lead our children in his will and of his character, just as if Christ was raising your child himself. And so current parents and future parents as verse four states, listen, we are not to provoke our children to anger. Or another translation says, we are not to goad your children into resentment. Why? Because listen, God recognizes how delicate a, a child's personality really, really is. Parents, we can easily misuse our authority by making either petty or unreasonable demands, which make no allowances for the inexperience or the immaturity of a child. So we're harsh and we're quick-tempered and we may belittle, dismiss, or ignore our child's desires. And these are some of the parental attitudes which provoke that type of anger and resentment in, in children. So, so parents now and future parents, let's not be inconsistent with the way that God has been patient and attentive to you. Let's meditate on the fact that God is loving and gracious and patient with all of our sin, forgives us of those sins and stays with us and is gentle and kind towards us, firm and truthful, but gentle and kind. And how does he treat you? What's done to you, he wants to do through you. So as an earthly parent, we're to parent like a heavenly parent. And that's what we see here played out in this text. Then in this last section on parenting, God calls the children to be brought up in the discipline, two things here, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, that phrase there that says uh, brought them up uh, literally means to nourish or to fondly cherish or to rear tenderly a child. That's what it means to bring them up, to nourish them, to cherish them and to rear them tenderly. How cool is that, guys? Centuries before modern psychology, it emphasized the vital importance of childhood development. God is telling us right here that children are indeed fragile and they're needing to be led with tenderness, security, truth, and love. Man, guys, I love God's word when it's understood correctly and used rightly. So parents, you're encouraged here to nourish your child in the instruction, in the word, in the understanding of the Lord. The onus is, is really on you parents and we wanna partner with you as a, as a church to help you with resources. And that's why we send out weekly emails to you. And that's why we have a COA Kids ministry. We do Kids Summer Adventure. We've got children's Bibles and memorization plans for them. We've got material to, to train them in the knowledge of the Lord for their good. So parents, your job is to declare God's character with your lips and to display God's character with your lives. Guys, it's a heavy responsibility to model and to make known God known to your child and what Christ has done. And church, this is why 
we need to pray for and to support and to encourage our parents, right? Parenting is hard. Parents of the room, amen, online, right? It's hard. And parents, this is why you must also have a strong personal walk with Jesus yourself, nourishing yourself on God's word, then nourishing your child with it as well. So let's bring up our children in the nourishing truths of God's truth, his love, his grace that's found in scripture, and then let us model that out in our life towards them. Now, there's also a word in this passage that may make us feel a bit uncomfortable and understandably so. We just talked about raising a child in the instruction and the knowledge of the Lord. But there's this other concept this text says that we're to raise up children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. But this verse is kind of intimidating to us, right? With our culture, we're thinking, what does it mean to discipline? We've had some really, really bad models of what that might look like. You think of abuse or hurt or pain or a parent in anger and out of control. Is that what God is wanting for parents? Is that the original meaning of this text? Guys, this verse is really intending to guide a parent to gently but firmly correct a child. But sadly, it's been used to justify the abusive or the harsh treatment of children. And it can cause psychological trauma and provoke them, as this text said, to anger or resentment of God and the parent. So let me be clear just for a moment that verses like this and verses like this I'm about to read, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Those verses in the ones we just read are not permitting a child to be hit or harmed in the name of discipline. No, too often children are disciplined in ways that are destructive rather than corrective or gentle or firm. The purpose of these verses are to guide parents to redirect their child's actions to those that honor God. Discipline is correction in gentleness and in firmness. For a child that's not taught to obey their parents, in the future, they struggle to obey God. And so the home is the incubator where we're guiding and recorrecting and talking and having conversations and stopping and saying, listen, I want you to obey these things in the Lord because I want you to obey the Lord one day when I'm not here. And so I'm trying to teach you what's good and what's not good for your health and your glory and God's glory. But I I want you to obey here. So when you're older, it's easy for you to obey. And so children, if we don't recorrect, if we don't say no, if we don't reguide, then possibly our child begins to go astray because they weren't told no. And so sometimes in response to this passage, we sort of have a laissez-faire approach to parenting. Let them just grow up in the direction they're gonna go to. And we just let them choose however they wanna choose to live. That's too much weight to bear for a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old making huge decisions about identity or who they are. And so how do we gently and loving them lead them and guide them? So yes, there is a place for discipline in parenthood. But as Paul goes on to say, it's never to be something that's arbitrary or abusive. For even children have a built-in sense of justice and they know when you're doing this wrong, your discipline must be of the Lord's character, not your anger. Otherwise, our children will become discouraged. They will be provoked 
to anger. And we dishonor God as our role as representatives of him to our children. So therefore, parents, you've really got to, like my family, must take the time to pray and consider what godly and restorative discipline looks like in the home. For different children with different personalities and different histories, this may look different. However, the call still remains for children to be lovingly redirected to God's will for their good and their flourishing and for God's glory. So if discipline is to take place in the home as God calls, a parent must be calm and gentle, firm and under control. It's always dangerous for any sort of corrective discipline or conversation to take place when a parent is annoyed or when their pride has been injured or when they've lost their temper. As Dr. Lloyd-Jones would say, when you are redirecting a child in discipline, you should have first controlled yourself. For what right do you have to say to your child that needs corrective when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the control of temper, is an essential prerequisite in the caring discipline and love of a child. Now, guys, we only scratched the surface of all of what that could mean. Am I relating to a physical discipline? Am I relating to a timeout? Guys, we're not seeking to unpack this here, but what we are saying is that we must redirect and guide according to God's will and according to God's character. Different children, different personalities, different experiences, what they've been through. We need to be mindful and we need to lean in and we need to figure out how do we do this God's way and not your way. That's what I'm trying to say. There's a lot to be said here. And if you're wanting more information, parents, on application, I would recommend these two resources for you. Number one, connectedfamilies.org is an excellent resource. Even if you need coaching on parenting or care or class or resources, this is where you can go, connectedfamilies.org. Or I would even recommend you walk through this book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. You might not agree with all the philosophies that are in there. And if you're curious, our, our family does practice some of the philosophies that are in that book for the good of our little ones. Not to be done in anger or wrath, but in control. How do we love and speak and guide that model something about Jesus? And so our family has looked at both of these resources and we've benefited greatly from godly resources and caring resources in how to love and lead our children the way that Christ loves and leads us. Amen? I know it's not an easy passage to walk through. We talk about instruction and discipline and what all that means. And we've seen bad pictures. We've got to look at it God's way and love and care and tenderness. Okay, number two, uh, the gospel calls children then to honor and obey their parents like the church is called to honor and obey Christ. Again, you see a metaphor. Children are called to honor and obey their parents like the church is called to honor and obey Christ. Now listen, because of the loving leadership, parents are to provide their children in the Lord's will and of the Lord's character. Because of those two things, children are called in verse one and two to obey and honor. Let's look at that again, verse one and verse two. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for it's right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Now the command for children to honor and obey their father and mother is quoted five other places in the New Testament. And the source of those quotes come from Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. And the text assumes an ideal that parents are going to lead and love in the Lord, right? But we know that often in homes, that's not the ideal. It's sometimes the reality can be far worse. So begs the question, 
our children to obey absolutely everything their parents tell them to do? What if a parent tells a child to do something harmful or sinful? Are they to obey then? What if a parent forbids them to follow Christ or connect to a Christian community? Are they obliged to obey then? In reply to such questions, we are often asked in great pain and anxiety as people think about this, I'd say this to this question, where the parent's will conflicts with God's will, the posture of the early church is the right path. Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than mankind. Children are to not obey their parents in absolutely everything if a request to sin is involved. That's why this verse protects children when it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, when it accords with the Lord. If it doesn't accord with the Lord, you must not obey them, but obey him. So meaning children are to obey their parents insofar as they accord with God's will in something. Obedience to parents cannot mean disobedience to Christ. Verse two continues by saying this, honor your father and honor your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that this may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The intent of this Old Testament promised reward of a long and good life to children who honored their parents was not a guarantee that they'd like live forever or that they would never have troubles or heartaches. No, this promise was really this general promise encouraging children that if they followed the godly leadership of their parents, then they will generally lead to a life of stability and of safety from bad decisions and of mental and spiritual strength. However, the inverse is sadly true. If a beloved child rebels against godly leadership of their parents, then a life of poor decisions and heartache and setbacks are sure to result. And that is my life. That is what I went through. So to our surprise, the command though to honor your parents doesn't stop at adulthood. As a Christian, adults are still called to honor our parents. And we may not be under the same command to obey our parents, but we are under the same command to honor them. And guys, this requires a lot of care and intentionality because of the challenging and complexities that come from adult relationships with our parents, amen? In our day, one of the most crying needs in honoring parents has to do with the care of our aging parents. This is complex and there's no really easy answers that exist, but sometimes institutional help is sometimes necessary, but many institutions for the elderly leave a lot to be desired. If honor involves care and attention, we can't just marginalize and forget our elderly family members by removing them from our sight. For some, honoring your parents is really, really difficult because there might be a lack of care that they had for you or a lack of integrity they had for you when you were growing up. Their past sins or their present demeanor sometimes make those relationships really, really challenging. And for good or bad, our psyche is sort of tied up and connected with the relationship with our parents. And so circumstances are really challenging for us when we go home for holidays or we think about their birthdays and direct communication with them might be harmful. Yet regardless, in this passage, we need to find ways to address our parents or guardians with honor, speak the truth and love, exercise forgiveness, and maybe at times live at peace 
from a distance. The less integrity a parent has had with you, the more difficult honor will be. So at times honoring your parents, maybe about honoring their office as a parent rather than the person of parenthood. So honoring for you might be that you pray for them. You don't speak ill of them. You're ready to forgive, but you live at peace, waiting for reconciliation and safety to happen. Vengeance and punishment cannot be the goals in our honoring of our parents, for they don't fit what was granted to us in the cross of Christ. So for some of you guys, this part of the message is, is, is painful or it, it brings up some uncomfortable things about the relationship with your mom or dad. For some of you in this room or online, you've had parents that have passed away or you may have not known your biological parent. So what does this mean for you? Does God not have a word here? Well, as a Christian, we seek to honor that parent who may have passed away or they may have been absent. We honor that parent by really honoring their God-given purpose. We honor the purpose, which was ultimately to lead and to love others in the will of God and of the character of God. So even if you didn't have good care for you or they were absent or you were harmed by them, listen, your heavenly father is the one that cares well for you now. And even if there was words left unsaid and regrets that were expressed, you can honor their place by honoring the purpose God originally gave to them. So for you, now you look to your heavenly father, your parent in heaven for comfort and for care and to supply in himself what was left undone by your parent. So as we conclude this message, uh, let's look at the final words of Deuteronomy chapter six, where, where parents and non-parents and not yet parents all find that their purpose really in any relationship is really to lead and love others in the Lord and of the Lord. Regardless whether you're a parent or you're gonna be a parent, all of us need to understand the heart of a parent is to lead and love others the way that Christ did. That's what's supposed to be modeled in the home and that's what you're supposed to model in your relationships. So Deuteronomy 6 says this to you parents, but through this, there's something about how we're to lead others. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And these words that I command to you shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently. This is the instruction part. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk with them as you sit in your home and as you walk by the way and when you lay down and when you rise and you shall bind them like a sign on your hand and you should put them on the front lists between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Basically put instruction, knowledge, the love of God everywhere. And then it says in verse 20, if a parent does this or you do this in your relationships where you're talking about Christ and you're loving others the way that Christ loved you, this, this was my, what happened. Verse 20, and when your child asks you in time to come, hey, what's the meaning of all these verses or these conversations or the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you, then you shall say to your child, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He's testifying here. And we have this in the gospel. We were slaves to sin, but God brought us out of Egypt, out of our slave to sin because of the cross. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all the household before our eyes. 
and he brought us out from there that he must bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. We know that to be heaven for us. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And it will be good and righteous for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us to. Yes, this was given to parents, but if you see through this, all of us are to be a testimony to what God has done. So if you're a parent, not yet parent, never gonna be a parent, regardless of church, we should use our lips and we should use our lives to declare the gospel in all of our relationships. And parents, may we lead and love the way that Christ has led and loved us. 